Attacks on civilians in Ukraine leave dozens injured, including children. Russia launched its second large salvo of missiles at Ukraine in recent days, damaging buildings and wounding many people in the eastern city of Pavlorad. Plus, the much-anticipated Ukrainian counteroffensive. Can it happen without U.S. fighter jets? For months, Kyiv has requested advanced weaponry from the West, most recently asking for F-16 fighter jets or similar aircraft. To date, that has not happened in the public eye. And later in the program, the Pope reveals his behind-the-scenes efforts at stopping the war and saving lives. Today is Monday, May 1st. From The Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Karish in Washington. Russia launched 18 missiles at Ukraine's capital Monday morning. Ukraine says it intercepted 15 of them. Preliminary reports from Kyiv indicate that there were no casualties. Also overnight, Russia targeted the eastern Ukrainian city of Pavlorod. The AP reports seven missiles were aimed at the city, although some were intercepted. 34 people, including children, were hurt in the strike. The AP's Charles de la Desma has more. A Russia missile attack on Ukraine has injured dozens and hit many homes. Officials say Russia launched its second large salvo of missiles at Ukraine in recent days, damaging buildings and wounding many people in the eastern city of Pavlorad. But the salvo had failed to hit Kiev. Air raid sirens had begun blaring across the capital at 3.45am, followed by the sounds of explosions as missiles were intercepted by Ukrainian defence systems. The head of Kiev's city administration, Serhai Popko, says all missiles fired at the city were shot down, as well as some drones. I'm Charles Zuladesma. Along with the attacks aimed at Kiev and Pavlorod, a fuel depot in Sevastopol in occupied Crimea was attacked by a drone, and a train inside Russian territory derailed when an explosive device detonated on the tracks. Anna Chernikova in Kiev brings us up to speed. On Sunday, uh, Ukraine woke up with the news that there is a huge, uh, enormous, really powerful explosion in Sevastopol. And um, Russian officials in Sevastopol confirmed that uh, it was an explosion at the fuel depot. Uh, at first, they said that only one area was was under the attack, but the footage demonstrates clearly that uh, the area is quite wider than was uh, um, confirmed at first by the Russian officials. Uh, later on, confirmation came in that actually like the area that suffered was much bigger. And uh, even from the footage, you can see a quite, uh, quite a huge um, area that is under fire and uh, under, um, under, uh, under very dark smoke. Um, what we know for this moment and what was confirmed by the Ukrainian officials, uh, the spokesperson of the Ukrainian South Defense uh, Unit uh, Ms. Guminyuk, she she said that what we experience and see uh, at the fuel depot uh, in the occupied Sevastopol is is a preparation for active phase of Ukrainian actions. This is what she how she commented on that. So basically, we kind of have confirmation that Ukrainian uh, forces are involved. However, 
mm, we don't have direct confirmation of the of who was responsible for that or how this was implemented. And did she give a timeline for when those expected Ukrainian offensive actions might take place? Uh, no, Ukrainian officials do not comment on that, and the Ukrainian officials just saying that please uh, wait patiently. When Ukrainian armed forces are ready, you will uh, you will see and you will know that uh, the active phase uh, has begun. And what about the train in Western Russia? What's the story there? Uh, this is uh, also another. Uh, well, well, let's say coincidence, which is happening just in the same period of time. Here, we don't have any confirmation from Ukrainian uh, authorities about the involvement of Ukrainian uh, side. We can only guess. Uh, but uh, what we know for sure is that on Monday, and uh, this was confirmed by the Russian officials, uh, in Bransk region, it was an accident with uh, uh, with a train that was carrying also fuel. Uh, and of course, it looks like not a coincidence because according to russian uh, sources what happened is that unknown explosive item uh, was in action there mm, 60 cars that were carrying the fuel were uh, were basically um, involved in the accident so uh, and again the fire is quite huge as we've heard earlier in the program, Ukraine was also the target of some heavy shelling from the Russians over the weekend and earlier on Monday. Uh, any update on that for us? Uh, yes, actually, it was another massive shelling uh, across Ukraine over the night. It was very similar to the one that happened a couple of days ago with uh, the with, um, Uman tragedy. Over the night from from Sunday to Monday, it was uh, an attack, uh, Russian attack with 18 missiles. 15 uh, of those were destroyed by the Ukrainian air defense. All missiles that were targeting the city of Kyiv, the capital, were destroyed. But it was quite a loud uh, night in Kyiv particularly. And um, uh, I can say that uh, definitely, uh, well, people were were uh, up during the night, and this is happening again uh, around four o'clock in the morning. This began, but previously, uh, the evening before, it was a very bad attack in the Dnipropetrovsk region. Uh, particularly, we're talking about the area of Pavlograd. And unfortunately, for this particular moment, there is a confirmation that more than one hundred. A residential and private residential buildings were uh, damaged. The damages are of different kind, but in general, it's like more than 100 were da damaged during the attack. We don't have exact um, details on what attack was, uh, what kind of attack it was. We only have confirmation of uh, quite huge explosions uh, in this area. Uh, nine education facilities were also damaged and also five stores, civilian stores were also under, were, were also affected. And um, unfortunately also we know that there are people who were injured, but we don't have any confirmation of any people killed. For the moment we just know that 34, at least 34 people were injured and uh, five of those are children. Certainly a story we'll be keeping our eyes on. Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. Anna, as always, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Steve. We just heard from Anna Chernikova, who's based in Kyiv. 
also based in Kyiv, is its mayor, Vitaly Klitschko. He spoke with the managing editor of VOA's Ukrainian service, Tatyana Voroshko, about defending his city. The Kyiv mayor's office is always buzzing with talk and meetings. Mayor Vitaly Klitschko says they are constantly working to improve this city's defense. Kyiv is protected way better now than it was a year ago. We have a monitoring system, a checkpoint system, modern weapons. Our armed forces are a lot stronger than a year ago. He recalled hearing about Russia's plan to invade the country in 2022. We didn't want to believe this would happen, yet we kept getting worrying information from a number of sources. So I personally started planning the defense of Kyiv, so in case Russia did invade, we'd be ready. We did what we could. Most Kyiv residents left in the first days of the Russian invasion, but many have already returned. The majority of residents, mostly women and children, left Kyiv. Just men were left, preparing. Let's be honest, we were preparing even for street fighting. Russian troops made it as close as 15 kilometers to the city center. But they retreated after meeting intense resistance. But Russian attacks on infrastructure meant there was sporadic electricity during a mild but brutal winter. We did everything in our power to make life easier for people. Even though Kyiv was consistently shelled, every week, sometimes a few times a week. And critical infrastructure was being destroyed. Even as the war grinds on, Kyiv officials are looking into reconstruction efforts, bringing back those who left and reviving the economy. And in the face of war, Klitschko says, each day he grows prouder of his fellow Ukrainians. Better to live without running water, electricity and heating than with Russian soldiers. I'm grateful to every person who didn't remain indifferent, who thinks about their children, about the future. As a former boxer, Klitschko says it's not always about power. In a fight, he says, sometimes spirit can overcome strength. Tetyana Voroshko, VOA News, Kyiv, Ukraine. A widely anticipated spring counteroffensive in Ukraine will push on without American fighter jets in the skies. This from Ukraine's president, who said waiting to train on advanced aircraft could signal a timeline to Russian forces. VOA's Arash Arabasadi has more. Ukrainian forces trained for battle somewhere in the southeastern Zaporizhia region late last week. Ukraine is expected to launch a long-anticipated spring counter-offensive following Russia's winter offensive, resulting in small gains despite bloody fighting. For months, Kyiv has requested advanced weaponry from the West, most recently asking for F-16 fighter jets or similar aircraft. To date, that has not happened in the public eye. Ukraine's president says there's no time left and that the counter-offensive will happen with or without advanced fighter jets. Frankly speaking, it would help us a lot. 
But we also understand that we can't drag the counteroffensive out, which is why we'll start before we receive F-16s or other models. We'll start and go forward, while simultaneously, I think, receiving Western fighter craft is very important. Zelensky spoke just one day after emergency workers and residents fought to unearth survivors of cruise missile strikes on a nine-story residential building. The Ukrainian Air Force says it shot down 21 of the 23 missiles launched by Russian aircraft, but the ones that did get through killed at least 23 people. In a video posted by the country's press service, Zelensky referred to Russia as a terrorist state, saying specifically, not only those who give orders, you are all terrorists and murderers, and you must be punished. Meanwhile, in the Donetsk region, a Russian drone strike hit another civilian target. A 31-year-old woman and her two-year-old daughter were killed in the eastern city of Dnipro. In Crimea, at a massive fire at an oil facility, a possible sign of what's to come with or without Western fighter jets. The Russian-appointed official in this region blamed the blaze on a drone strike and reported no casualties. According to the Associated Press, the official didn't clarify the drone's origin, but Ukrainian drones have increasingly targeted Crimea in recent weeks. If and when Ukraine launches its counteroffensive, it will meet heavily fortified Russian positions months in the making, packed with landmines, tanks, and troops. Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. The Vatican is involved in a peace mission to try to end the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, Pope Francis said on Sunday, declining to give further details. You imagine that in these meetings we do not talk just about Little Red Riding Hood. We spoke of all these things. Everyone is interested in the road to peace. I'm willing to do everything that has to be done. There is a mission in course now, but it is not yet public. When it is public, I will reveal it. The Pope added that he had spoken about the situation in Ukraine with Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban and with Metropolitan Hilarion, a representative of the Russian Orthodox Church in Budapest. The Pope visited Hungary last week. Since Russia invaded Ukraine in February of 2022, Francis has pleaded for peace practically on a weekly basis and repeatedly expressed a wish to act as a broker between Kiev and Moscow. His offer has so far failed to produce any breakthrough. However, the Vatican did help with prisoner exchanges. La Santa Sede ha fatto di intermediario in alcune delle situazioni di scambio di prigionieri tramite l'ambasciata. Questa è andata bene. The Holy See acted as an intermediary in some of the prisoner exchange situations through the embassy. These went well. I think this one will also go well. It is important. At the very least, the Holy See is willing to do it because it's a right thing. We have to help. This is not a casus belli, but a human case. It's a problem of humanity before it's a problem of spoils of war. All human gestures help. Gestures of cruelty, on the other hand, do not help. We must do everything humanly possible. Tutti i gesti umani aiutano, invece i gesti di crudeltà non aiutano. Eh, questo dobbiamo 
fare tutto quello l'umano possibile. No? Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmihal met the Pope at the Vatican on Thursday and said he discussed a peace formula put forward by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. He said he also invited the Pope to visit Kyiv. Pope Francis has said previously that he wants to visit Kyiv, but also Moscow, on a peace mission. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Karish. Daniel Ellsberg is famous for leaking classified documents from the Pentagon in 1971. The documents themselves became known as the Pentagon Papers and revealed that the United States government was lying about the war in Vietnam. Now there's another war, and Massachusetts Air National Guardman Jack Teixeira is accused of being another leaker of classified documents. Ellsberg, who faces terminal cancer, spoke about his legacy with Washington Post reporter Devlin Barrett and about the nature of, well, papers in the Pentagon. Devlin Barrett of the Washington Post joined me to tell me of his conversation with Ellsberg and the nature of leakers. They're very different leakers. Uh, Ellsberg withheld some information that he thought was too sensitive. He did it because he wanted to accomplish a very specific objective, which was end the, the war in Vietnam. The the new leaker, the, the leaker on these uh, the Discord social media chats, he seems to, according to the folks we've talked to, just wanted to sort of show off to his friends and say, here's what I know and here's, here's what you should know. Uh, that's obviously very different. Um, and it's, it sort of shows you how, how different leak cases can be. Now, you spoke to Mr. Ellsberg. What does he think of Mr. Teixeira? What's his opinion on all this? So as he, as he views it so far, he thinks that the, the young man seems to not have had a purpose or point to it other than just, you know, uh, bragging to his friends. Um, but I also think, Ellsberg comes at this whole issue from a from a very particular uh, worldview of of being opposed to war and opposed to the to the dangers of nuclear war, and so he sees sort of echoes and similarities between the situation in Vietnam when he was younger and the situation in Ukraine now. How so? He sees them both as a stalemate, and and certainly there were many years in the Vietnam War when the fighting was at a, a, a sort of stalemate. And what Ellsberg says is that if you look at the, some of the documents in this new set of leaks, they talk about the war in Ukraine and they talk about how the US government expects it to be a stalemate at least until next year. And to someone like Daniel Ellsberg, that sounds an awful lot like the time buying that US officials did during the Vietnam War and that worries him. Um, over the years, Ellsberg got a lot of credit for his leak. His personal courage was astounding, you you quote in your article. Does it look like Teixeira is a similar kind of person? So far, we haven't seen that, uh, but, but that case is in the very early stages. You know, Ellsberg was charged with crimes. He wa- was ultimately... Uh, his case was tossed out, <laughs> not so much because of what happened in the case, but because Nixon sent the plumbers, President Nixon sent the plumbers to to uh, break into Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office and try and find dirt on him. 
Uh, and the government did things to try to discredit Ellsberg that a judge ruled were so inappropriate and unethical that they could not proceed with their case against him. Um, this is this new case is obviously very different so far. And at this point, we don't see anything in the young man's background that would suggest that he had a purpose to it or a principle that he that he is trying to defend or support. And so it's not clear to me what move he's going to make. I, I do think that one of the challenges for that young man in this case is that the government says they have a great deal of evidence pointing to his guilt. And if they're right about that, um, he faces quite, quite a bit of jail time. One thing I, I find interesting about your article and one thing I want to find out more about is that you say that Ellsberg doesn't believe that this most recent leak really harmed American national security in any way. Right, because Ellsberg's view, and this, and it's, and it's not unique to him. I think there's a lot of folks, uh, current and former government officials, who share this. Is that the government just classifies far too much material, and you know the the line that I quoted Ellsberg is saying in the in the piece is that you know at the Pentagon, top secret is is like toilet paper, um, and and I think there is a view among a fair number of folks in government that far too much is given the top secret designation that doesn't need to be. And, you know, a lot of what we have seen from these new leaks are sort of big picture intelligence analysis of, you know, global dynamics, including things like the Ukraine war, but not, you know, surprising revelations about secret methods or sources of intelligence gathering. Um, and so that's why Ellsberg's view is like, look, none of this actually harms national security. None of this actually, you know, creates problems for governments as they try to navigate different hotspots around the world. Uh, it's embarrassing, but that's part of diplomacy. That's part of global politics. Um, and so from Ellsberg's point of view, certainly, you know, while these things are top secret, they're actually not uh, important secrets, if that makes sense. You mentioned in your story also that Ellsberg is 92 years old. He's suffering from cancer. He likely doesn't have much time left. How does he view his legacy? How does he view um, the power of leaks? You know, it's it's a really interesting perspective, um, and and I w it was to me, the most interesting part of our conversation where he said he doesn't really care how he's remembered or even if he's remembered. He believed in what he did when he leaked those papers. He was trying to end the war. And he, he has sort of a, he, he has kind of a funny view as, as to how history actually worked. You know, he was, he leaked these things and he took at great personal risk to himself uh, in the hopes of ending the war. But after the leaks, you know, the public and the government didn't move away from the war. But what did happen as a result of the leaks was that Nixon's people started the plumbers operation. And that led to a series of government abuses that drove Nixon from office. And driving Nixon from office actually hastened the end of the Vietnam War. And so he kind of accidentally, in his mind, got what he wanted, but not remotely the way he thought he would get it. Devlin Barrett is a national security reporter for The Washington Post. Mr. Barrett, thanks for your time. Thanks for your uh, analysis today. 
Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day. Visit us online at voanews.com and on social media. Be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Karish. This is the voice of America. Washington, Bob, 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 Bob,